0: Just things for me. Hello, podcasters. We're back on for another episode today. Today we're going to talk about how to train for good riding technique. Anyone who's followed me for a while will know I'm a big proponent of not just good riding technique, but how our strength training can allow us to build the capacity to maintain like a really good solid attack position, whether that's a seated attack position or a standing attack position where we're sort of hinging from the hips and resisting that, I guess, tendency to dump into flexion. So any, uh, like if you follow any of the good riding coaches out there, like any good riding coach these days, they all talk about, keeping our hips unlocked and our shoulders are pinned back. So we're maintaining this nice flat back in an attack position. So again, like you followed me for a while, you know, I'm, I am definitely an advocate like of that. And that's definitely an important part of our strength training. However, when we actually look closely at even the best riders in the world, like, like the the people that everyone sort of puts up on a pedestal in terms of riding technique, obviously you've got your Jet Lawrence, Hunter Lawrence. They're the two at the, at the top. And you've got like your Ken Rocks and your Chase Sexton. So these guys have got like arguably the best riding technique in the world better than you and me listening to this. So when you actually watch them ride, they are really good at finding those positions. However, they're not fixed in those positions. Like They're not rigid. They're not, they don't always have a flat lower back and their hips unlocked. They don't always have their shoulders pinned back with a flat upper back. Quite often when they're moving to around on the bike and to and from these positions, they dump into spinal flexion. Their shoulders protract forward. Their upper back rounds out. So the conclusion that I've kind of come to from watching these guys ride is they don't have perfect technique 100% of the time. They are not fixed in these positions 100% of the time. What they really have is a hyper-awareness of where their body is in space and they're constantly making micro-adjustments to their center of mass to give the bike the input that they want to give it to get the result that they're trying to get out of the bike. So the question is like how can we train for that? Like us mere mortals, how can we train for that? So firstly I'd say like it's you could make a fairly easy, you don't have to draw a very long bow to to make an argument that the lower level of skill we have on a dirt bike, most likely we're probably going to spend more time in what most people would consider a sub-optimal position. Like, again, all the the good riding coaches talk about having unlocked hips, shoulders pinned back, with this nice flat lower back. And that's certainly important and we want to be able to find those positions. But it's pretty easy. You watch like a a lower level rider, like when they come down from like a pro into that sort of intermediate rank down to a beginner level, the lower the skill of the rider, the more time they're going to spend in a less than optimal position. So how can we prepare ourselves for, best prepare ourselves for that? If we can understand that even if our technique's really good, like we've got the best technique in the world like these guys do, we're still gonna spend time in positions where we have got a flexed lower back, where our shoulders are protracted, where we're hunched. And that's okay. These positions aren't bad. These are positions we need to be strong in to be able to ride a dirt bike to its full potential. Because it just gives us more options. When we've got more options, then we're gonna be better prepared to give the dirt bike the input that we need to give it to get the result that we want to get, right? If we avoid these positions, like a lot of people, there's a lot of trainers out there, a lot of uh, these like functional trainers that will say spinal flexion is bad. Letting your shoulders round forward is bad. That every exercise we do, we want those shoulders pinned back. We want that core locked in and, and flat lower back. No spinal flexion, like... Okay, that is important in some exercises, 100%, without a doubt. Like, if you want to squat or deadlift some heavy loads, then, yeah, you need to be able to brace your core and create tension around your core and maintain a somewhat neutral spine under load. That's one of the big benefits we get out of performing those exercises. However, again, when we look at some some of these guys ride a dirt bike, they're not always fixed in that position. They're dumping into massive amounts of flexion, their shoulders are protracting forward. So if we avoid these positions all of the time in our training, it just means we're going to be very unprepared for when we get put there on the dirt bike. We might get put there just because we need to shift our center of mass into a position that's quite extreme, potentially like way off the back of the bike in a set of sand rollers or something like that, Or it might just be from shit going bad when shit goes wrong and when you get bucked sideways or you OJ a jump or heaven forbid you get thrown off the bike and you hit the ground we're going to get put into these positions it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when so how can we best prepare ourselves for that with our off-bike training so that's what we're going to talk about today. So again, like that conclusion I've kind of come to is like these pro riders, they don't have, they're not locked into that perfect position all of the time. What they really have is hyper-awareness of where their body is in space. And they're constantly creating micro adjustments to their center of mass. Because if you think about riding technique, that is really what the skill of riding a dirt bike is. It's managing our center of mass. So, in certain situations, we want to get off the back of the bike more because we want that rear end to squat. And we want to get drive and traction. Other certain other situations, when we're cornering, potentially like a bit of an off camber grass track, we want to get further forward because we want that front wheel to bite. Like if that front, if we, if that front wheel is too light, if we're too far back off the bike, then we're going to tuck the front. So it's this constant sort of management. Of our center of mass because that's what dictates what the bike does right you can have the best suspension in your dirt bike if you're not giving the bike the input that it needs to be stable or to go around a corner or to keep the wheels on the ground and be driving with traction then the bike's not going to handle to its full potential so the input we give the bike allows the bike to perform at its true potential so we need to be like have this awareness of where our body is in space and how that Moving of our mass affects the dirt bike, so that's why strength training in the gym is such an important part. Because when you're squatting with like a a dirt bike weighs 100, 110 kilos, right? So if you're taking a squat with 100 kilos on your back, you will know like if you lean a little bit too far forward or shoot your hips a little bit a little far to the back, then you're going to struggle to execute that squat in with a really high quality or a, a good squat pattern. Same with a deadlift or an RDL. You got 100 kilos on the barbell and you get too far forward onto your toes and you let that bar go away from your body. It's going to be very difficult to execute that rep at a high quality. So strength training teaches us to manage not just our own center of mass, it teaches us to manage external load and force which is what we kind of get exposed to on the dirt bike right so it's also teaching us like those two things in particular uh squatting and performing a hip hinge like an rdl is my favorite hip hinge movement performing them like even just at the low end of the spectrum with our body weight on the barbell for me say i weigh 80 kilos so that's an 80 kilo front squat or an 80 kilo RDL, we're going to have to have some ability to brace the core and resist movement in the core. If you lack the ability to brace and create tension in your core and you take a squat with, a, with 80 kilos on a barbell, you're probably going to fold like a taco. Same with an RDL. You go to perform a, an RDL with 80 kilos on the bar and you lack the ability to brace your core then you're probably going to fold like a taco. So that's just a, at the low end of the spectrum. That's We're not talking about becoming a powerlifter and like squatting or deadlifting 200 kilos. We're just talking about a very low level of strength, which is just being able to squat or hinge our body weight on a bar for five reps or more. Like that goal in itself can bring a huge amount of progress for most people. So that that's... Like, that's a big part of the, I guess, the other benefit we get from lifting somewhat heavy loads. Like, heavy relative to our level of experience, heavy relative to our own body weight. So, we're obviously getting where we choose those movements because they improve our ability to produce force, which is strength. Strength is our ability to produce force. So obviously we need to be strong to ride a dirt bike. So the sort of the side benefit of getting strong in a squat and a hinge is that we learn how to resist movement in the core. And we learn how to keep this, like, this neutral spine that all the good riding coaches talk about and, and keeping the hips unlocked and nice flat lower back. We learn how to do that. We improve that skill. That's kind of like a side benefit to just getting strong at squatting and hinging. So we can kind of tick that box, right? That's really important and that is a huge component. And again, I'm a huge advocate of just learning how to get stronger and improving that skill of strength with sort of the lower rep ranges in that three, five, six, eight rep range with just our body weight on the bar. Again, we don't have to become a powerlifter. We're not going to the Olympics. We're not trying to break powerlifting records. This is just like at, we're talking... Our body weight on the bar is a low, uh, figurative or relatively speaking, it's a low level of strength. Like again, I've mentioned it on other podcasts, I've helped grandparents, 50, 60 year old women, 70 year old grand grandfathers to squat and deadlift their own body weight on a bar. It's not an outlandish target to aim for. Being stronger than that, definitely benefits to that, but I'm just talking about we're not going to that extreme end of the spectrum of what humans are capable of. We're just sort of, we're talking where in terms of what humans are capable of, like we're sort of down the lower end of the spectrum that will actually feel tangible results on the dirt bike. So once we've kind of ticked that box, we've ticked that box of learning to create tension, to resist movement under load. Then our training, we want to be thinking about actually Moving the spine. So, again, we watch these guys ride the best riders in the world. They're not fixed. They know how to find that position, right? They can find that position with the hips unlocked, the shoulders pinned back. They can find that position and they're really strong there. That being said, they're not fixed there. So, they're constantly moving. They're moving to and from these positions and sometimes they get put into some extreme end ranges. Of those positions, whether that be spinal flexion, shoulders and upper back, rounded out, whatever it might be in the situation, we're going to get put into these end ranges. So that's when we can look at like our accessories to our strength training. If you think of like the heavy lifting component, that's kind of like your primary movement. And I'll explain when we get to the end how I'd structure a workout so you can sort of tickle these boxes. But then in your accessory work, you can be start, you can think, okay, well, I've just performed some heavy strength work where my spine, where I've been creating that stability around the core and the spine, resisting that movement. So now I can think about, okay, I'm coming into some accessory work. How can I actually train my spine? and my core to move. How can I improve my resilience and ability to tolerate load in some of those more awkward positions? So an example of that might be like a Copenhagen side plank, a dumbbell side bend. There's plenty of exercises. Jefferson curls are another example where we're going into flexion. So we're actually training the spine to tolerate a little bit of load in that flexed position again these exercises we're not putting 100 kilos on them we're just they're lighter weights sort of that higher rep ranges in the the eight to ten and we're just focusing on actually moving the body and getting that getting the rib cage and the spine actually moving and bending so then we've got uh, plyometrics so i'm a big fan of plyometrics so if you think of A like a squat or uh, an RDL where the load is heavier, those movements are happening quite slow. Even though like it might might say say it takes you three seconds to do one rep, that's quite slow in terms of the speed of the movement. Again, and what the what one what we get exposed to on the dirt bike, and two sort of what the body can actually tolerate. So when we come to plyometrics, one of the big benefits that we get out of plyometric training is where it's, it's forcing us to sort of maintain this posture in, at higher velocities. So a squat, as an example, is happening quite slow. As you jump off this box into like a, a broad jump, it's happening quite fast. You're dropping into that vertical like a squat pattern and then you're leaping forward and that's happening like in, a, in milliseconds. So again, it's just training the body to sort of maintain somewhat sti- some level of stability through and posture through the core here at higher velocities. So, again, it's we're not trying to stay stiff, we're actually just trying to move, we're trying to translate force at high speed. So, that's one of the big benefits we get out of our plyometric training. We get all the awesome, like the neural benefits of like fast improving that reactive strength and that like ability to contract the muscle really fast but we're also getting like these benefits around the the core the spine and the around our posture okay so what does that actually look like in a workout so how i would just a a simple template you could use is just starting at your warm-up so straight away in your warm-up you we could as an example we'd include some sort of body weight type movements or lighter movements that are sort of focused around the core. So we might focus on like stability around the core and this is going to be dependent on the client and where they're at. A dead bug as an example, core exercise where we're actually creating that stability and that awareness around the pelvic tilt and the core, great to throw into warm-ups. Some light movement of the core, maybe a light dumbbell side bend even just bodyweight side bends, light Jefferson curls, a cobra where you're laying down on the floor and pushing up into that extension. So these are just some examples of some lighter or lower intensity exercises we can put into our warm-up that are just going to get things moving a little bit. So again, think about we're going to go into, uh, say, a squat or a a hip hinge where the load's heavier and everything's like fixed and we're trying to create stability and tension. A really good way to warm up for that is just to get your core, get your spine moving, generate some blood flow, get some movement into there, get some circulation. That's a really good way just to add in just a little bit of low-level movement and awareness into the core and the spine and get that ribcage moving. Like Remember, a ribcage is basically attached to our spine and there's like there's over 300 I think it is joints in more 350 joints in the entire rib cage and the spine and they all it's like any other joint they're designed to move they don't have to be fixed and rigid all of the time so like any other joint it thrives on moving like if you think if you only ever did wall sits for your knees and just did isometric holds feel for your, for your knees for your quads you probably probably wouldn't be a great way to prepare yourself for riding a dirt bike right so think about that with your, your rib cage and your spine like you wouldn't train any other joint just isometrically only just all we're going to do is isometrics and that's it so think about that with the rib cage with the rib cage and the spine we want to do some training where we're creating that isometric-like contraction and that ability to resist movement. But again, like any other joint, we want to train it to move. We want to train it to tolerate loads through movement. So that can start at the warm-up. And then most commonly we would include plyometrics sort of at the end of the warm-up before the primary lift. So we might include some just lower level extensive pliers for most people when they're beginning, just something like a pogo hop where we're just trying to jump straight up and down. So obviously again, it's a high velocity movement. So we just watch that client. How do they look? How do, how do they look through the core? How does their posture look when they're trying to perform these jumps? Are they collapsing? Are they losing all position in their core and their posture? Or does it look pretty good? Are they maintaining a fairly upright position as they're jumping in and out of the pogo? Then we could also work on like some deeper tier pliers like um, a split drop lunge or a, like a skater hop where we're bounding side to side. So that's more of a yielding movement where we're absorbing the force. And depending on how we cue that exercise, we can actually get a lot more sort of movement through the core when we're performing those exercises. So again, they're just a few examples for you. If you follow me on Instagram, and you watch my Instagram stories, you probably watch me sort of doing a lot of those exercises. I include all of those exercises for my clients when they're ready for them and at, at the right time. Everyone's sort of at a different level with plyometrics, but they're just some examples that you could include. And what that looks like in a workout, it's actually quite short. Like we're not doing huge volume on those exercises it might be even just two sets, two sets of 10 reps of each exercise. As an example, that's sort of a low low end entry point and you might just do that before each workout two or three times a week and accumulate volume over time. So then we're going to move to our primary strength exercise. So just to recap, we've had our warm up where we focused on moving the spine and the core a little bit. We've had some plyometrics Just maybe two sets of 10 reps, so it's pretty low volume. Might take you like three to four minutes to get through that. Not a huge amount, not a huge time investment, less than five minutes. Then we're gonna get onto our primary strength exercise. So this is when we're focused on that stability and ability and resisting that movement around the core. So, as an example, that might be a squat today. We're gonna perform a front squat. So we might do, say, four sets at five reps of a squat, that's our primary exercise for the day where we're focused on like resisting that movement in the core. We get that done, then we move on to our accessories. So when we get into our accessories, after our primary strength work, that's when we can sort of start to think about, okay, I'm going to actually start moving the core and getting the cage moving and adding sort of some load, getting stronger in those ranges. So an example of that might be like a landmine. If we performed a squat as the primary exercise, we might go a landmine RDL, where we're actually encouraging a little bit of uh, movement through the sort of the, the lower back and the core, uh, a Copenhagen plank, a side, which is a side bend essentially, and a Jefferson curl. As an example, if you're going to do a giant set, if it was a B series, you might just go the RDL and the Copenhagen plaque. And then your C series, you might go a tripod row, upper body row, a single arm dumbbell press and the Jefferson curl. So they're just some examples of exercises. Um, And there are two upper body exercises that I use for clients where I actually cue them to not hold their shoulder pinned back and resist movement the whole time. We actually want to get that scapula moving through its full range. So when the weight goes down, if it's a row, we're actually reaching for the weight. So we let that scapula come around the rib cage. And when we pull it in, we're going to row it right in. We're actually going to get a little bit of rotation. So we're going to cue the rotation through the thoracic the rib cage, etc. So again, they're just examples of exercises that we can choose that encourage that movement around the core, around the rib cage and the scapulars, etc. So obviously we're still going to perform exercises where like just a normal as an example, a normal bench press or a normal push-up, or a normal dumbbell row where the shoulder or pen row is a good example. It's an exercise I love where the shoulders are more pinned back the whole time and we're training them to sort of stay in that retracted position as we move the weight we still include them not saying we we don't train those exercises as well i'm just saying that we cover all bases so the training program that's going to prepare you the best for racing a dirt bike in my opinion is the one that covers all bases so we're not avoiding these positions because they're bad or dangerous we're training them because we know we're going to get put there when we're riding a dirt bike. So guess what? I want to be fucking strong there, right? I don't want to get injured or I don't want to be weak and fatigue when I get put into these positions when I'm riding the dirt bike, right? So really like it just good technique comes down. A like good good te- technique just comes down to having more movement options and being stronger in these positions, right? again if we avoid these positions and we inevitably get put there when we ride a dirt bike if we sort of think back to what we were talking about at the start we see that these the best riders with the best technique in the world get put in these positions they their spine is flexing their shoulders are protracting they're getting put into these hunched positions so we can only like we can only bet that if our technique isn't as good as Jet Lawrence or it's not as good as Chase Sexton's, guess what? We're probably going to spend more time in those suboptimal positions than those guys are. So if we know this, again, just it's pretty simple. It just means that we want to prepare ourselves for these situations. And what I just mentioned to you is how we do it on Race Ready Programs we don't avoid those awkward positions. We train them. We get really strong in those positions. So we get strong at resisting movement and tolerating load, being able to resist flexion so we can maintain a solid attack position, but we also train those more awkward positions and those end ranges of motion, especially around the core and the rib cage, because we want to be strong there. So, if that's something that interests you i'll put the link to our programs on the website you can check the programs out like i said that's what that template that i sort of spoke about there is a, a basic structure of how i would structure a workout and that's how most of my programming is structured and how the race ready live program is structured or my one-on-one programs are structured most commonly so if that's something that interests you go check out the website there's a little bit of information on the different training options there I am in the process at the moment of completely overhauling my website I haven't actually got any of the new stuff up yet but I'm just collecting and working on some content to actually improve the websites very basic so uh, stay tuned for that. The website is going to get a big up upgrade in the coming weeks and months. But like I said, I'll chuck that link in the show notes. So if you want to go and check those training options out, you can. Otherwise, hope you get to shred some trail. Have a great weekend and I'll see you on the next podcast episode.